Today we're continuing in our, our new series for the Easter season called You're Not Far. And the big idea for this series is really this, that if you've ever felt far from God, we want you to know that's not uncommon. And the good news is that God is closer than you think. And when we began this series on Palm Sunday, um, I told you guys that I had a really, really specific and kind of narrow agenda for this series. And that agenda, that dream, if you would, was that I would love it if during this series, all of you who maybe have been considering the idea of becoming a Christian and connecting in some community would choose to take that next step. My hope and prayer is that those of you who maybe you've, you've been here for a little while or you've been watching online for a little while, maybe your students love coming to Fuse, our student ministry on Sunday night, or your children have been enjoying being a part of Lighthouse Kids, or you were invited to come and you just felt some kind of a connection, and so you've been coming, and you're curious about God and Jesus and this whole Christianity thing, but maybe you're kind of on the fence. My hope and prayer is that you would decide to get off the fence and fully embrace Jesus as your Savior and this church community as your home. Now, if you're, again, here today, and it's maybe your first time, or you're watching online, it's your first time, and you're thinking, uh-oh, I don't even know if I believe in God. I'm not sure where this is going. First off, we are so glad that you're joining us today. I would just ask that you kind of bear with us and that you would just keep an open mind during this series. Because one of the other interesting things that we're going to do during this series is we're going to be talking about our core values as a church, our mission and our values, who we are, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we're going to ask the question, why in the world would anybody, would any rational person make the decision to become a follower of Jesus, and hopefully unpack that for you. And again, my hope and prayer is at the very least to explain to you why somebody who is rational and sane would make that very, very personal decision of embracing Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Savior of their life. Now, I get that if you're here and you're not a Christian, that there might be some pretty valid reasons as to why you're not. Um, you might say, Pastor, I hear God is supposed to be a good God. I hear he's supposed to be a loving God. But when I look at our world today, I mean, we've got sickness, a global pandemic. We've got war in the Ukraine, you know, the fear of World War III, death, all of these things. And there's just too much suffering in the world for me to believe in a good and loving God. Maybe that's your obstacle. And I wouldn't tell you that's dumb, no. I mean, that's a, that's a valid, legitimate reason that you have. Maybe your obstacle is you grew up in a church and you just saw too many crazy Christians in your life and you think, why in the world would I ever want to become one of those? Another valid reason. I mean, I don't blame you. I shared with you guys a couple weeks ago, I've had my own personal experience with crazy Christians. In fact, we did a poll. I'll do it again this morning. Raise your hand if you know some crazy Christians in your life. Look around the room, okay? You're amongst friends. We're all with you. We've all been there, okay? Or maybe like me, you grew up in a different faith tradition altogether, my parents immigrated to the United States from India. I was the first in my family to be born in the United States, and I grew up in a Hindu family. And maybe Christianity is appealing to you, but your family doesn't believe. And so becoming a Christian, it's hard. I mean, that's like going against your family. That's a real valid obstacle. But here's why I'm so excited about this series and where we're going over the next few weeks. See, over 2,000 years, countless people, Millions and millions of people have made the decision to become a follower of Jesus. 
but rarely, if ever, does a person embrace Christianity only after they've worked through every single one of their questions and every single one of their obstacles on their checklist of obstacles. Rarely does just more knowledge move students and adults to take a next step into faith. Usually, people who come to faith have an extremely personal experience, and it doesn't answer every single question that they have in their mind, doesn't fix every single obstacle and remove every single obstacle, but what it does is it kind of shrinks them down, shrinks the things holding them back from taking a step of faith. They, they hear something or they experience something, and it just stirs their heart, and it leads them to a response. And in those moments, their questions just seem smaller and less important in light of their experience with God. Now, if you brought your Bible or a Bible app with you on your phone, go ahead and bookmark Matthew 11, Matthew 11. And the book of Matthew was written by a guy. Does anyone know who wrote the book of Matthew? Matthew, not a trick question. Go figure, right? Who was a follower of Jesus. And, and he gave an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And we're eventually going to get to Matthew chapter 11 today, but it's going to take a few minutes. So bear with me. Um, but in this series, I've said we're going to be looking at the mission of our church, and we're also going to be talking about our five big core values as a church. And so as we dive in today, let me start by sharing with you what our mission is. Maybe you've never heard of this before. Maybe this will be a refresher to you, but this is what our mission statement is as a church. Our mission is to create experiences that light the way to a growing relationship with Jesus. That's our mission, to create experiences that light the way to a growing relationship with Jesus. We want this to be a place that creates environments and experiences that help draw people closer to God. And throughout the Bible, we discovered that this is, in fact, the critical mission of the church of God. In Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16, Jesus said this. He said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. And neither do people, you know, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So this is our mission as a church community. And again, if you're here today and you're still not sure how you feel about Jesus and the Bible and you're still kind of feeling this whole God thing out, again, we are so glad that you're joining us. But I want you to know something. I want you to know that this church exists for you. It's right in our mission statement. But I want to say this. Even if you're an agnostic or you're an atheist and you consider yourself an atheist, you, you can't really deny the impact that Jesus has had on history on the history of the world. There's been more books written about him than anybody else. 2,000 years after he walked the earth, he still appeared numerous times on the cover of Time magazine. Countless movies have been made about him. TV series have been made about him. And Jesus said some pretty incredible things. But one thing in particular is perhaps the most incredible thing he ever said. And it was a new way of looking at life and religion and it just rocked the world. And, and I believe that if this teaching is applied into our lives, even today in our modern age, it can still change the world. It could heal marriages. I mean, it, it, could, it could change the way we look at dating if you're in a dating relationship. It could impact the relationships between parents and kids and kids and parents. It, it could end the intense division we've even seen in our country in recent years. It could change everything. 
And all this came about because one day a group of religious leaders came up to Jesus and they asked him a question. They said, hey, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And now this was a very good question. There was a reason they asked him this, because from the original Ten Commandments given to Moses, if you guys all remember that story, you know, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, all of those things. From those original Ten Commandments over time and over the centuries, the religious leaders had expanded that. We talked a little bit about this on Palm Sunday. Had expanded that to over 600 commandments. Many biblical scholars believe there are between 613 and 618 new commandments, new religious rules at the time that Jesus was walking the earth. And so these guys wanted to know what you and I wanted to know back when we were in school. They were like, hey, Jesus, can you give us the cliff notes for all of these laws? There's so many rules, it's so confusing, it's so overwhelming. Is there any way that you can simplify it for us a little bit? Can you simplify it? And what's fascinating about this is that Jesus actually answered their question, which is remarkable, because oftentimes when the religious leaders would ask Jesus a question, he knew their hearts and he knew they were trying to trick him, and so often what he would do is he would ask them a question back, or he would start to tell them a parable, and they would be really confused, and they wouldn't know what he was talking about, and he would just kind of go off on a story. But this time, this is one of the rare instances in the New Testament where he actually directly answers the question, and he said this in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40, says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, okay, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus said that all 600 commandments can be summed up into two things, love God and love others. Love God and love others. And church, this new way of thinking about God and life would radically change the world. Even to this day, if we applied this into our lives, and everyone, you know, we're connected to, our own lives and everyone we're connected to would be impacted and changed. And then Jesus went on to describe what real followers of him would look like. What would a real Jesus follower look like? And this leads to our first core value. Jesus said this in John 13, 35. He said this, he said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciple if you what, church? Love one another. If you love one another. Not it's not simply about what you believe. It's not about what you do on Sunday morning. But you will be known as my follower if you love one another. The defining characteristic of a person who's a follower of Jesus is how he or she treats other people in their life. And, and as a church, we believe this wholeheartedly. In fact, this is our very first core value, our key kind of overarching core value as a church, and it's this, that loved people love people. Can we say that one time just so it sticks? Let's say it together on the count of three. One, two, three. Loved people love people. See, every person you're ever eyeball to eyeball with matters to God. And if you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, they should matter to you. Loved people love people. So that's a big picture. Now we're going to dive a little bit more into what we're talking about today. So, so to start, we're, we're going to do some audience participation this morning. Nothing big, just a little bit of hand raising is, is all I need help with. And I'm going to ask you some questions, but again, please try to be as honest as you possibly can. 
because it's good to be honest, especially when you're in church. And um, I, I promise this will hopefully be some fun. Okay, so here we go. How many of you would admit that at least one time in your life you have fallen asleep while at work or at school? Can you raise your hand? All right, look around. A lot of people, everybody. My hand's raised as well on that one. Okay, now raise your hand if you've fallen asleep while doing something really, really important, like you've fallen asleep while you were driving. Can I see a show? Okay, all right. A lot of hands. Wow, okay. It makes me a little bit scared to be on the road today. Um, yeah, but for those of you who raised your hand, I'll go off on a tangent here for a second, but isn't that like the best two or three seconds of sleep you've ever had in your life, right? You start nodding off, and then you hit the rumble strip, and then you get really defensive if you have other people in the car with you, right? You're like, I was, I was not falling asleep. They're like, then why are we in a tree, dude? Like, we're, that's a squirrel that's mad at us. We're in a tree right now, right? Now, for the guys in the room, this is going to be a harder question for you to be honest about. How many of you have ever fallen asleep while your girlfriend or maybe your spouse was telling you about her day. Can I see a show of hands? Few, few brave guys. These are the courageous men. The rest of you are chicken. I just want to point that out this morning. Okay? You're like, no, nah, baby, never done that. Every word you say is precious to me. I have never, never been distracted. Okay, tell me again about the last episode of Downton Abbey. I really want to hear about that. It's really good. But we all drift off at times doing important things. Uh, my sister-in-law, uh, Rebecca Darling, this is a, a legend in our family, uh, fell asleep taking the SATs. So that's, you know, th things like this can happen. We fall asleep at work. We fall asleep at school. I've seen people, you wouldn't believe this one. This was shocking. I've seen people fall asleep in church. Right? Crazy, right? That's why we give all of our greeters tasers. Somebody just woke up in the back. I just saw that. Head popped up. Head popped up. But we fall asleep. And the craziest thing is, the craziest thing is, our government, the government of the United States, actually spends millions of dollars funding research and giving grants for studies that look at why people sleep. And there are a lot of reasons behind that. There's military applications about, you know, keeping troops awake and things like that and combat ready. But I think we can help our government out this morning because I think we got a lot of smart people here at our church. Why do you guys think that people fall asleep at work and at school and in the car sometimes? Why do you think people fall asleep? Because they're what? Tired. That's right. Let's pray and go home. We just solved it. Amen. Okay. But you know what? There's different kinds of tired. There's, there's being physically tired. Um, a couple weeks ago, I drove um, to New York City and back to see a Broadway show with my wife. And after that trip, which, which was um, a lot of fun, we went and saw Hugh Jackman in The Music Man. It was a great trip. But I was a little physically tired after doing that you know, five-hour drive back and forth. For some of you, uh, work has been kicking your butt, and you're physically tired. Then there are some people who are emotionally tired. I mean, if you have young children at home... I can get if you're emotionally tired. I'm probably describing you. And I feel you. I, mean, I have five kids. I've got a toddler at home right now, so I get it. Sometimes you hide in the bathroom for just two minutes of peace in your life. And then the doorknob jiggles and little hands come under the door. And it's like, what are you doing? I'm pooping. Leave me alone. You're tired. Okay? Some of us are relationally tired. There's some single people in here, and you're just tired of dating and trying to find a date, and you're like, dear God, could you just please give me a spouse? 
And while there's some tired single people here, there are also some tired married people here. And they're thinking, you know, my life seemed easier when I was single and I only had to focus on myself. And then there are people who are spiritually tired. Spiritually tired is when you're like, man, I just, I just need to clean up my life. I'm just on the wrong track. I just need to get things right. I, I need to work harder or try harder. I just, God, I need to try to reconnect. And then you blow it again and you're like, man, I'm a failure. God could never want someone like me. Well, Jesus said some things in Matthew 11 that really speaks to this issue of being tired, physically tired, emotionally tired, relationally tired, and especially spiritually tired. Jesus said this, I just love this, because in this passage, he gives an incredible invitation to all of us who've ever just felt tired in our life, who've ever just felt burdened in our lives. Here's what he says in Matthew 11:28. 28. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, what's that next word, church? Rest. I will give you rest. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not what I first heard when I first started going to church as a middle school student. It seemed to me like all I was hearing was, come to me, and I will give you more to do. <laughs> right? Come to me, and I'll give you a list of rules that you now have to follow as my follower. Come to me, and I'm going to wear you out, and I'm going to take away your card to have fun in life. Come to me, and your life will be boring and miserable, but one day you'll get to go to heaven, so it'll be worth it. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, come to me, and I will give you rest. And then he continues on in verse 29. He says this. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus Christ invites all of us to come to him for rest. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's a great invitation. I think it's an incredible invitation. And the place he calls all of us to connect with him, to find rest and true peace in life is at the cross, regardless of who you are. It doesn't matter if you're religious or if you're rebellious. It doesn't matter if you were born and raised in the church or if this is your first time ever experiencing church. We are all invited to connect with Jesus at the cross. And you will never experience true rest and true peace in your life until you have an encounter with Jesus at the cross. And again, here's the really awesome thing about the invitation of the cross. It's for everyone. It's for everyone. I'll give you a couple examples. It's for people who are confused. It's for people who are confused. Many of us here will be confused after this service today. You'll see them wandering around outside in the parking lot. They'll be confused about what they're going to go eat for lunch this Sunday. Now, if I could eat anything, I would probably choose a Five Guys cheeseburger, okay? Because they make a great burger, and I like meat, okay? I like meat, and I cannot lie. Some other pastors may deny. Now, that might offend you if you're here this morning and you're, you're a vegetarian. Um, I'm sorry, I'm gonna have everyone imagine a big piece of meat. You guys can imagine a slice of lettuce, okay? Whatever, whatever floats your boat. But for those of you who like a good burger like me, I, I want you to close your eyes for a second. I want you to imagine this. Imagine if I took you to Five Guys after church today. And I said, here's the deal. If you eat this delicious bacon cheeseburger 
you will never be hungry ever again. You'd be like, I think the pastor might be off his meds, right? Because that doesn't happen. Hunger is, is a permanent problem in the human condition. And we can fill ourselves up with all the food we want, but, but we're going to get hungry again. Like yesterday, I had a chance to, to head down to, um, to Gordon College to watch my niece Emma play in her lacrosse game. And afterwards, we went to the Cheesecake Factory. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting some of you guys into temptation here. And, and let me tell you, I enjoyed my meal at the Cheesecake Factory, even had some actual cheesecake after the meal. And they had to roll me to the car after it was done. I was so stuffed. Well, I drive back home, take a short nap, I wake up, and guess what? I was hungry again, okay? It's weird. I'd just eaten, you know, more food than a, a small third world nation, and I was hungry again. We're that way with all of our appetites in life. Things don't ever completely and fully satisfy us and our appetites in this life. See, if I could go anywhere in the world, I would go here. I would go there. Who wants to go with me? Show of hands. Amen. That is Bora Bora. That is on my bucket list. Um, I think we should plant a church there. Anyone interested in being a part of that team? Awesome. We could do it. For those of you who aren't a part of the plant team, We'll do a mission trip there every winter. They'll be, why are, all, why are all these people from Maine showing up here every December? And we'll be like, because it's cold in Maine during the winter, okay? Um, but see, some people are like, oh my goodness, if I could just do that, if I could just take that dream vacation, then all my problems would go away. No, they wouldn't. You know why? Because you have to come back home eventually. And they're going to be waiting for you here when you get back. See, culture tells us, if I can just get there, I'm going to be happy. If I can just get the bigger house, the newer car, the better job, then I'm going to find happiness. But that's not true. Nothing on this planet will ever fully and finally completely satisfy us. Because Jesus taught that we were made for something more than this world. We were created. We were designed to live out a love relationship with God for eternity. But there's a problem. There's a problem with that design. And here's what Paul teaches us about this in Romans 3.23. He says this. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. According to Scripture, we are imperfect, sinful beings. We've all sinned. We've all disobeyed God. And this sin that's inside of us, it separates us from a perfect, holy, righteous God. And you might be thinking, well, that's really encouraging, Pastor. Thank you for that, that message of hope this morning. But if, you, if, if, if you're tired today, and if you're feeling burdened today, and you're exhausted, and you're tired, I hope to show you that this is, in fact, great news, that it's not bad news. It's great news. So help me out. How many of you would say that in your lifetime, you have sinned at least one time. Can you raise your hand? Look, everybody, okay? Every single person. We say that all the time. There are no perfect people here. Every single person, raise your hand. How many of you would say the person sitting next to you sinned on their way to church this morning? A few of you guys. All right, yeah, yeah. All right, pointing them out. How many of you would say in your lifetime, you've probably sinned more times than you can remember? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, lots of sinners. Look at the person next to you and say, you are jacked up. Tell them that. 
Some of you enjoy doing that. You've been wanting to do that for a really long time. You're like, the pastor told me I could do it, okay? The problem of sin is an epidemic. Now, where did we learn how to sin? We didn't, learn, we didn't have to learn how to sin. I mean, we were born with the ability to do that. How many of you have kids? Raise your hand. Did you have to teach them how to sin? No. I mean, they even came into this world, you know, crying and, and screaming and, and, and focusing on themselves. Feed me. That's mine. I want that toy when they're a toddler, right? Change my diaper. It's all about me. We all have a problem with sin. And we try to find happiness and rest through all the things of this world when what we really need is to encounter Jesus at the cross. The invitation of the cross is for those of us who are confused. The invitation of the cross is also for people who are running. It's also for people who are running. Now, this is probably not politically correct to say, but I'm overweight. Okay? Aren't you just big boned, Pastor? Bones don't jiggle, okay? And, and I've struggled with my weight since high school. It's fluctuated up and down and up and down. And when I was playing sports, it was great. We, you know, when I was sedentary and behind a desk, it, it spiked up again. I mean, um, j- just this past fall, those of you who, who know, my, my dad passed away in November, and, and I dealt with a season of, of grief and, and depression, and I gained 20 pounds over November and, and December into the start of the new year. And, and so, you know, I'm trying to make some better life changes. One of my New Year's resolutions, which I've stuck to so far this year, is I gave up drinking soda this year, drinking water. And, and see, for me, the issue really began several years ago when I started having some health issues associated with my weight, things like high blood pressure and gout. And so one of the things I decided to challenge myself with to try to get on a healthier path was to run a 5K. How many of you are runners? Are there any runners in here? You ran a five, keep your hand up if you ran a 5K, 10K, half marathon? Wow, marathon? Oh my goodness, that is awesome. That is awesome. That takes serious, serious dedication. Well, so what I decided at my highest weight of 300 pounds I decided I was going to run not just any 5K, but I was going to run the Warrior Dash. Now, if you're not familiar with this, I I encourage you to to Google it, check it online. Um, It is a a race with 10 extreme obstacles, okay? Crawling in a mud pit under barbed wire, uh, jumping over fire, scaling over a wall, 10 extreme obstacles. Now, most people who ran that race were tracked with a stopwatch. They clocked me with a sundial, okay? (laughs) Not not joking with you guys. Out of a 1,000 runners, I think I finished 980th in this race. But I was pumped. I beat the kid on crutches. (laughs) I passed the 90-year-old great-grandma. The blind guy with the cane took him right at the end. It was awesome, okay? But at the end, I was tired. There's some people here today, and you're running. You're running from God. And maybe you're running from God, and your reasons are legit. Maybe you're running from God because you had some overzealous religious parents growing up, and as soon as you had that chance to break away, you just rebelled, and and you, you did. Maybe you're running from God because you went to a church and something happened, and there were some people at that church who made you feel like you weren't welcome anymore. Maybe you're running from God because you're chasing after some kind of sin. 
And I'm not here to lecture you about that this morning. Sin can be fun. Temptation can be real. But here's the thing about sin, and I've learned this in my life, and I've seen this in the lives of countless people that I've counseled over the years. Sin starts off often as fun, but it leads somewhere. It leads to death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. What you reap for sin is death. It could be the death of a relationship. It could be the death of hope. It could be the death of good health. It could be the death of your future. And, And as I look back on my life, every stupid decision that I've ever made in my life that left me wishing that I could go back and have a redo took place in my life when I was running from God. And some of you are running today. But here's the crazy, amazing thing about God, church. Some of you have been running from God, have been running and running and running, and you logged on to YouTube today and you're watching this service online. Or you ran right into this building and you're sitting down in the middle of a church service that's speaking to you about running from God and feeling tired. I believe that's the provenient grace of God reaching out to you and drawing you towards him. And the good news for you today is that you don't have to run anymore because God wants to give you rest. The invitation to the cross is for people who are running. The invitation to the cross is also for people who are overwhelmed. Some of us are overwhelmed with work or our marriage or our relationship you know, with our kids. Some of us are overwhelmed because of circumstances in life. I mean, life is fragile. One phone call, one doctor's visit can change your perspective on everything. I've been there. But here's the thing that I've discovered. Jesus hasn't delivered me from every difficult circumstance in my life. He doesn't promise to do that. He doesn't promise that we'll never have storms in this life and we'll never have difficulty and challenges. But guess what? He's always walked with me through the storms of life. He has never left me. He has never abandoned me. In fact, the only thing Jesus has ever abandoned was an empty tomb. That's the only thing he's ever abandoned. And if you're overwhelmed today, maybe it's the grace of God telling you that you can't do life alone and that today you're being invited to meet Jesus at the cross where he can give you rest. See, church, as we've said, our sins separate us from a holy God, but here's the good news. God wasn't okay with that. That did not sit well with our heavenly Father. He loves you, and he desires to have a personal relationship with you. So God solved the problem of sin, and he did it at the cross. And we can find rest and we can find freedom from our sins if we're willing to accept the invitation to encounter Jesus at the cross where he laid down his life and he paid the price for all of our sins once and for all. And so the invitation to the cross is for everyone. It's for confused people. It's for runners. It's for those who are overwhelmed. And it's also for these two groups of people, sinners and saints, sinners and saints, Some of us know our sins and struggles, and we readily can admit, I'm dealing with some stuff. I'm dealing with some issues of sin in my life. But others of us grew up in the church, and we oftentimes consider ourselves to be good, nice people. And because we're we're good, nice people, sometimes we don't realize that we need the cross too. We, We think things like church attendance makes everything okay. This is why over the past 
30 years as a Christian, I've seen so many people who have spent years, who've spent decades in church, and they haven't really changed. And that's a little bit odd. That's a little bit weird. That would be like if service started today, and after you know, Pastor Jim and the team led us in, in singing some songs and worshiping God, when it was time for, for me to come up on this stage, I didn't show up. And a minute went by. And two minutes went by. And some of you started looking around. You're looking back in the sound booth. You're looking, you're like, where, where is he? And then I bust open through the back doors. And I'm a little bit disheveled and I'm a little bit out of breath. And I come up here onto the stage and I'm like, guys, I'm so sorry I'm late. It's the craziest thing that happened this morning. I was singing songs, praising Jesus on the car right here. I had the windows down because, you know, the weather is getting a little bit nicer. And my two-year-old Lincoln, who was playing on my phone, he threw my iPhone right out the window. Craziest thing. So I pulled over right there by the Dairy Queen. I pulled over. And I went out onto the road to get my phone. And right as I went to do that, bam, I got hit by a semi-truck going 90 miles an hour. Just ran right over me. It was awful. You guys, please pray for me. I'm still a little bit sore. But that's why I'm late this morning. Now, if that happened, nobody in here would go, uh, duh, okay, pastor. We buy that story. You wouldn't buy it. You'd be like, if you got run over by a semi, there would be evidence You'd be a bloody mess. You'd have tire tracks going across your body, shredded clothes. You'd be missing an arm, missing a leg. You would not be in this service. Okay, you'd be over at Main Med, clinging to life if you were lucky. The good news of Jesus Christ is way more powerful than a semi-truck going 90 miles an hour. If you've been impacted by Jesus Christ... There should be some evidence of that in your life. Some people think because they grew up in the church and, and they try to be good people that they're a Christian. Let me clarify. We are called to love others and do good in this world. As we talked about at the beginning of this service, loved people what? Love people. But there is no amount of goodness that we can do to earn salvation and freedom from our sins. The standard is perfection. And there are no perfect people. All of us have fallen short of the standard. In Matthew 7, Jesus said something that may be one of the scariest things, you know, written in Scripture, in the whole Bible. Here's what he said. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. But Jesus, I went to church. I mean, I sang songs about you. I wore a cross around my neck. God didn't give us the cross so we could have nice jewelry. Someone innocent had to die so the guilty could go free. A Christian is someone who realizes this fact that there is a chasm between me and a holy, perfect God caused by sin, and there's nothing I can do in my own power to be able to bridge that gap, so I need a Savior. But again, the good news is that God loves you so much that he provided just that. He sent Jesus to be our Savior, to pay the price for our sins on the cross. And as we talked about last week, Jesus proved who he was 
by rising from the dead. So our response should be, am I going to trust in Jesus as my Savior? I'm going to make that decision, and I'm going to follow him as my Lord. That's what being a Christian is all about. It's not about ritual. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. So here's my question for you guys today as we, as we wrap up and land the service. Have you accepted the invitation to the cross? Have you accepted the invitation to the cross? See, this was me. I was confused. I was running from God. I was overwhelmed in life. I was rebellious in my sin. And then a friend of mine in middle school invited me to church, and I started to hear about God. And I was like, man, I need to clean up my life so I can have that. I need, I need to work harder. I need to try harder. I need to get religion. And so I went to church every week. As a freshman in high school, I would wear a suit and tie every Sunday to church. I would wear it Wednesday night to youth group, played basketball in a suit and tie and dress shoes. Didn't dance. Didn't go to movies. Got rid of all my secular music because I thought that's what Christians did. They follow the rules and they don't have fun. But something happened to me at a winter teen camp where I finally realized that I had never really met Jesus, that I had sinned and I had fallen short of the glory of God, but that Jesus paid the price for my sins. And it wasn't about what I had to do. It was about what he had done for me, that Christianity wasn't spelled D-O, everything I got to do. It was spelled D-O-N-E, that God loved me so much that he paid the price for my sins. And it wasn't about what I had to do. It was about what he has done. So kneeling in a room like this, I made the decision to surrender my life to Jesus. And I connected with God at the cross. And my identity is no longer found in who I used to be, but it's found in who I am in Jesus. I'm forgiven. My sins are paid for on the cross by my Savior. Jesus Christ gave me peace and gave me rest. Last verse we're going to look at today, Romans, Romans 10, 9 says this, and this is something that gives us incredible hope. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be saved, not maybe and you just wrestle with it, you're confused for the rest of your life, you will be saved. And it has nothing to do with rules and behaviors, but it has everything to do with receiving Jesus in your life and beginning a personal relationship with him. A relationship that's really based on two foundational things, loving God and loving others. Loving God and loving others. So today as we close the service, I want to do what we've been doing throughout this series for the last couple of weeks. I want to offer you an incredible invitation. I want to invite you right where you are, whether you've been a person going to church for years or whether this is your very first week, I want to offer you the incredible invitation to meet Jesus at the cross and surrender your life to him, to begin a personal relationship can we bow our heads and close our eyes as we get ready to pray? And so I just want to ask a question to you. If that's you today, if you're someone who maybe has been going to church for a while and you're like, I've drifted, Jesus, I, I need you in my life. 
I need it to be personal. Or if maybe you've never made that decision and you're like, today something clicked. God is speaking to me right now. I'm ready to take a next step. I'm ready to move my faith off of myself and what I do and onto my savior Jesus and what he did for me at the cross. I'm ready to meet Jesus at the cross. If that's you today, I wanna lead you in a prayer. And would you just be really bold for a second and just lift up a hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me today? I'm ready to make a decision of faith. You can do that while you're in the room. You can do that if you're watching online. I wanna give you that opportunity. Is there anybody here? Praise God. I see a hand up. Praise God, I see another. Anybody else? I wanna just give you, I don't wanna drag it out. Just wanna give another moment because I believe this is the greatest decision that anybody could ever make in their entire life. And I believe what scripture says, I believe there are angels in heaven celebrating every person who makes this decision. Is there anybody else? Today's your day. You're ready to say, I wanna be a follower of Jesus. I wanna receive Jesus as my savior. Is there anybody else? Lift up a hand. Praise God. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, Thank you for loving us. Thank you for meeting us right where we are. Especially wanna pray for those who just responded right now, who just lifted a hand and said, that's me. God, my prayer is that, that they would be able to acknowledge today, God, I wanna move my faith off of myself and what I've tried to do and I wanna move it onto my savior, Jesus. I believe Jesus died for me on the cross to pay for all my sins, that it is done, that it is finished. And I believe he's the son of God. I believe that he rose from the grave. God, I wanna have a personal relationship with you for the rest of my life. And I'm not even sure how that might look like, but God, I'm ready to take a first step. And day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, for the rest of my life and into eternity, I wanna take steps in a love relationship with you. God, help me to love you with everything I am as you've loved me and help that love to pour out on everyone around me. God, today I acknowledge loved people love people. And I wanna love God and I wanna love others. Help me to do that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Church, can we celebrate? I want to let you know again, the altars are open. If you want to pray right where you're at, you're welcome to do that. Um, you can also stand together as we're going to continue to just worship God and celebrate what he's doing in the lives of our people.
wash is over Every doubt, every imperfection Jesus, your presence Is the comfort of my soul There's no